What's up, guys? This is JP Bedell, and this is the very first Delivered Lumens podcast. This first episode is uh, exemplary of what I want this podcast to be. Uh, a leader in the lighting industry uh, or in the culture talking to us about how light can change people's lives. Uh, today's guest is Erin McDonald. She's the CEO of Lighting Environments. She's had a long career in the design industry. And what I really admire about Erin is she really understands how technology can not only improve lighting, but bring lighting to people that previously might not understand it. So um, Lighting Environments is the only rep that I'm aware of that has developed their own controls app, right, to actually give people intuitive control over their lighting and other building systems. Erin really understands that the future of buildings is going to be tied into technology, and that's what we talk about quite a bit in this episode. If you saw the title here and you're thinking about the metaverse and you want to jump right to that, if you're not a uh, if you're not a lighting controls person or if you're not a lighting person, you want to talk about metaverse and what light is in the metaverse, you can zoom right ahead to the 30-minute mark of the video and you'll get to the conversation that uh, Aaron and I had surrounding the metaverse and what lighting and design means for the metaverse. We talk about digital twinning and what that means for the future of design. It's a great conversation. If you want the audio-only version of this, because this podcast is nearly an hour long, you can go to deliveredlumens.lighting slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the audio-only edition on any of the platforms that you like. All right, without further ado, here's my talk with Erin McDonald. Hi. Hey. Hey, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm so thrilled to be doing this. So for those of you watching or, uh, or listening along, Aaron and I have been sort of connected via Instagram, via LinkedIn. We've been following each other's work. Um, and I really admire Aaron and everything that she's been working on forever, but um, not just with the technology and with the sort of forward thinkingness of the company, but just the environment she's built with her team. If you follow anyone from Lighting Environments, uh, you'll see just how enthusiastic everybody is to be at work, to be at the office, to not be at the office. And uh, in this day and age, that's a rare thing. And I think that's really special. So thanks for, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, um, go ahead. All right. So... Um, I think what makes your work in particular really interesting is the intersection between lighting and technology. So um, everybody that works with lighting, whether you're um, a facilities manager or a lighting designer or an engineer, has a lot of pain points, a lot of frustration, particularly around controls. And so I was really interested to see um, the launch of the Lighting Environments app. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what got you into the world of developing an app, what, what solution we're trying to solve for here, and, and what got you started down that road? Well, there were a lot of um, things that came up to, to get us to this place, and, and but it was sort of a journey that started out with, uh, with the, uh, I specified a Dolly system for our office, and uh, we had uh, some particular drivers installed and in, that weren't compatible with our Dynalite system. And uh, we had to uh, rewrite the firmware um, for the drivers. And uh, 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 we hired some firmware uh, writers and to come in and rewrite the firmware to get them to be compatible with the software. And uh, after that, I realized that uh, that was really valuable skill to be able to have. 
Um, and and the, the sky sort of became the limit for us. If I can rewrite firmware, I can write software mm. to integrate these things. And basically, I began to understand if it had an IP address and I could talk to it and it could talk back to us, then we could begin to you know, create this ecosystem for uh, tenants like ourselves mm. uh, in our spaces. So hopefully we could have cameras and then we could have uh, our access controls. And, oh, I definitely wanted air quality. This is pre-pandemic. Um, but then the pandemic hit. And um, kind of, uh, there were there were several different dimensions that kind of forced our hand to to go another direction. Mm. Um, yeah. So there were. Go ahead. No, no. Um, yeah. uh, so, my I guess let's let's take a, a short step back and talk about why you even care about this stuff, right? Like let's let's go back to. Um, we all like you're in the same business I am. We sell lighting controls, we sell lighting yeah. fixtures. Um, and I think there's been this sort of malaise around the idea that like all these systems do the same thing they turn the lights on and off, they can change colors if the lights change colors, they do timing, who cares, right? Like it's been a very stagnant space for a long time. So, what got you sort of so sort of passionate about not just, I mean, I don't know many people that would think let's rewrite the firmware, right? They would go, well, I don't know. This is what it is, right? So mm -hmm. so let's yeah. take a step back and talk about why this is such a high priority for you. Well, it was health. Uh, it was motivated by health. Mm. For me, my daughter has a pretty severe autoimmune disorder. And, and I was trying to understand circadian rhythms. And I thought, um, I thought that we were going to market with these concepts of um, tuning to circadian rhythms, but we didn't have a lot of real life experience mm. in doing that. Um, and we didn't really understand how it affected people. So we installed it in our office to, to see what would happen. Mm. Um, and we actually found that it triggered migraines wow. and, um, and that people with um, ADHD were having more trouble and I realized that every day at five o'clock I was reaching for my ibuprofen and I couldn't understand why I was having a headache every day at five o'clock and what I realized that in my periphery the cleaning lights went on mm. um, and I and it was affecting my vision in a way uh, in a negative way and I and and I and I began to think that you know, all of the new protocols that come out, it's our responsibility as reps to, to try these things out. And, and, and before we go and push concepts, we don't know the answers to how they're going to affect humans. I think that goes all the way back to the inception of the LED in general. Um, when it came out to market, I kept thinking, we haven't tested this. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> You are yeah. you are hitting directly on one of my biggest pet peeves around the conversations around circadian lighting and circadian entrainment is that everything from tunable white to spectral you know distributions are labeled as circadian, mm -hmm. and I always say to people, let's say that your claim is absolutely true. Does that mean we should be doing it right? Like, should we be asking people to be fully alert from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m.? Like, is that even healthy? Right? Like, if, whether or not we think it's correct or not, these claims should we even be doing it? Is it is yeah. the first start? Is a starting point? 
Right. And as reps, we have to offer that sort of value. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we have the responsibility to do that. I think that's what sets apart great reps is, is to be able to look out for your client and say, you know, this is of real value to you, or this is not of real value to you. And we have found this and this is why. And I think those things are, um, can, can help distinguish you in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's reflected in what I see come out of the social feeds from your company because nobody feels like they're pushing something that is invalid or, or they're just being told you have to sell this. So go sell it. They're only selling things they believe in, which is Mm -hmm. a really, really important thing. If you're on the rep side, um, I always tell my clients that my job is not to push things. It's to edit. There's way, way more products than you're ever going to need on a project. So my job is to edit down your solutions to what I think really matters for you is, is the, the goal there. I love that. I, I've been telling my my um, team that the art of curation is dead and that you need to remember it's a very valuable thing. Yeah. The art of curation is dead. I like that. Yeah. I like that. And so that's a really – so, okay. So now we've, yeah. we've sort of set the table. So <laughs> um, this importance around health and around what makes an environment comfortable and healthy is what sort of drove you into we want to do better controls. Let's right. talk about so, what you see the role of, uh, of lighting controls specifically, but then also just sort of digital building space controls and how they relate to health and comfort and all the things that, that we just touched on. Well, I mean, obviously, I, lighting controls on how they relate to health. I mean, I haven't really figured that out yet, mm-hmm. other than you need control in certain areas. And, and but and, and in certain places, you need more granular control. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't think uh, one, uh, one thing fits all solution is, is a is a good option. It just is different for every space on, on your needs. But I actually think that the lighting controls and the and the lighting grid itself can be a vehicle for the Internet of Things, mm. and it can be the bridge between your physical and digital environments. Mm. It is the middle. It is the part that connects the two. That's a really interesting thought process. So, so let's hold there for a second. So you're seeing the lighting system, whatever that system may be within a building or I guess even in, in exterior locations as a, a bridge between the physical spaces that we, that we encounter and potentially our digital environments. That's correct. And so do you mean both from a data collection standpoint and from a environmental shifting standpoint? Like I'm thinking about sensors, cameras, things like that, or how, how do you see, yeah. how are you seeing that? Yeah, everything. I mean, especially, well, first of all, we, we are, are, my entire office is digitized mm-hmm. now and you can only imagine and uh we, and and we have 7000 different sensors in there just to try new things out and so on and so forth and i think if a an architect were walking into that space they could probably look at the space and say you could do with a few less sensors <laughs> <laughs> so i think the lighting is a vehicle for that i mean your sensors should be located in your lighting fixtures, your your cameras can be located 
in your lighting fixtures. I think your 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 the, you know your sound could be located in your lighting fixtures. Mm. Like these are to clean up the ceiling and have a cohesive um, look, but also to be able to um, you know take the energy from those light fixtures and 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 put this all together. But I do see it as a digital layer in a building. Mm. Um, and it and it and it should be a cohesive uh, group of, grouping of digital things that work together to allow the end user to interact with the building. Sure, and so I think that makes a lot of sense because when lighting went from fluorescent and halogen sources to LED sources on the interior side, you shifted to a digital, essentially a digital medium for light, right? An LED mm-hmm. is a digital medium in a lot of ways because of how it can be controlled. Um, so on a practical level, the you decided that the best way to sort of tackle this, or one of the ways to tackle this, maybe not the best way, but one of the ways is to develop this, this application, this app. Um, who's the app for? Is it for everybody? Is it for developers? Is it for end users? Who's, who's this for? Um, well, we started out designing the app for uh, facilities and developers. Mm. And um, we've, in the past two years, um, have been able to reach every person in the group so that it can start out with the developers and they can have control of their building. And we're working on um, understanding what their um, carbon footprints are and all of their buildings and then all the way down to uh, the end user who wants to book a desk in their office and they want to sit next to their friends when they come in and book the desk mm. so there's a community section um, that connects it to the building but it's also connected to the access controls you can see cameras within the buildings, you can connect it to the thermostats, you're connected to the air quality meters, and a community section that kind of brings it all together. Um, and so it me- it's an integrated workplace management system meets building control system. A workplace management system. Okay, yes. so, let, so since we're pro- talking primarily to lighting people, Yes. Let's let's talk about what a workplace management system feels like to the end user. What are we talking about in in reality? It's kind of like I guess if you look at uh, we you have a desk booking system or they have heat mapping within a space. It's heat mapping that isn't based on actual live data. Mm. It's more based on what has been booked. Okay. Um, whether the person is showing up in a space or not. So with IoT, uh, you can understand actually who's in the space or you know or what you know what spaces are actually being occupied versus what is being booked. Um, and then you can have real time data that comes back to you. So integrated workplace management systems are those things that book the conference rooms and the desks mm-hmm. and um, that sort of thing. Um, and there's lots of big companies that use that, um, those integrated workplace management systems to make real data decisions on their real estate. Um, and it's a little antiquated now when with IoT because we can go in and understand a lot more about the actual real-time space. Mm, mm. So, and what's interesting to me is that you see the lighting layer 
because I think what you, what maybe some some folks in this space see lighting as just another building system, right? And I think what you're advocating for is that this is actually the layer that makes the most sense to do your integration across. Yes, mm. it's a gateway. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, because we're delivering distributed power, is it really the, the main Correct. reason? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, see, that's an, a, a missing piece of this that I think lighting people don't. They say it in marketing materials, right? And they say right. it to each other, but I think we don't do a good job as an industry of educating the folks that actually write checks for these projects ahead of a project. That's kind of mm-hmm. been that was my my discussion at the IS and that we as an industry don't do a good job advocating or educating on what's possible so that I don't, I mean, what I find in my conversations with owners and developers and things like that is that they think it's just a sales pitch, you know? And so it's not in the culture yet. And I think what your work is doing is trying to push this into a cultural sort of conversation because go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I'm, I'm, yeah, it is. it is a cultural conversation. There is a merging of a lot of different um, um, people in this, and it, it will require better integration among all the trades to be able to get this done. Mm. But the data is valuable um, and sometimes really valuable. It's been interesting. I've been watching um, the sample room mm. in our and and we we know on uh, what what shelf every shelf is it's all labeled like this is the axis shelf or this is the vega shelf or whatever it is and uh and i know who you know not who but i know what 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 shelves have been visited this year and what who's taking what samples out now and i'm thinking oh we're not taking these samples out enough because of the data um, so we're we're getting pretty valuable uh, data points. We're learning how much CO2 each person brings in as a whole, not each particular person, but people in general. Sure. Um, and, and how to increase our air turns to keep healthier environments. Um, uh, we're learning that uh, people prefer the lights down when they're working on their <laughs> their screens. Sure. Right. And I also think that lighting is an opportunity for uh, the a way for the building to be able to communicate back with the human in a sense. Mm. So we're working on a system. Uh, we're collaborating with um, some furniture dealers that um, where the light blinks above when you book the desk. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you walk in the door, it shows you what desk you're going to sit at to correspond with the desk that you bought. Sure, sure. So. It's like a, like a simple wayfinding device. Yeah, very simple. So a thought occurred to me, and it's it kind of takes this discussion in, sli- in a slightly different direction, but I, I want to get your take on it. Um, do you think that, um, and this may be, I don't want to embarrass you, but I feel like it's, it's important to bring up. Do you think that... Um, you have a particular set of sensitivities that maybe previous lighting leaders and folks that sell lighting um, don't have. And I mean, I don't want to make it a, a, a gender issue, but I think that you talk about certain things in a sensitivity that I don't think previous uh, leaders have necessarily talked about. And do you, do you think that that may be a different set of skills that you bring to the table? Oh, sure. I mean, well, I'm being a, wim- a, w- a woman in lighting, um, yeah, I, I, I do think it 
it does bring a different set of skills to the table. And I think there's a, I, I have a, I'm a real humanist. Mm. So, um, I, I love the human race and I want the human race to go on. And, um, and I, and I think that we all have skills to add, uh, to help that. And, um, you know, I, I think there's been male and female leaders that have felt the same, mm. but, um, but, you know, when the, but, you know, when the pandemic hit, I thought to myself, I said, okay, we, ha- I have a company at the helm. We have a lot of talents. What can we do to help us get out of this? Mm. Like, where do we put our energy to help us get out of this? Everybody has to help us get out of this. Mm-hmm. And that, we're in these buildings, we had to go home. And that's completely unacceptable. We need to have more protection for humans in these buildings. Mm. um, And try to figure out how if the next pandemic hits how we don't have to go home again. Mm. Mm. That's really interesting. So because what I hear you talk about is this this place, it sounds very technological. But at the end of the day, you're trying to deliver more comfortable, hospitable, healthy environments. Mm-hmm. So there's this really great blend of like highly technical, here's where the sensors go, here's how we collect the data, here's how it feeds into the software and firmware. But on the other end of the rainbow, the end user is seeing a more comfortable, healthier environment. That's the goal. So it's this really cool blend of like very hard skills, right? Like we're going to code this and we're going to do this and we're going to test these sensors with very... Um, I guess softer skills, right? How do we develop a more comfortable environment? How do we cater to people's preferences within the working environment? And that's a place that I think designers can really latch onto this and see the value of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and I think that's where it connects. And I hate the word metaverse these days; it's got <laughs> such a bad rap. But it does connect to the metaverse because when um, I always think of the correlation of. Uh, the biggest form of flattery to a baby is mimicry. Mm. Um, and so I think I think in a human being, the biggest form of flattery is to to meet the, the, the human being on on the level that they're processing processing the world. Mm. Like so um, so if we look at if we're interacting, if our digital environments are the same as our physical environments, they will, they will translate mm. similarly. Um, and I always found that in interfaces with lighting control systems. We had a, a lighting control system that recently got sold um, <laughs> that had a 3D interface. And uh, it was beautiful. And all of the clients loved it. Um, just as an auto. It was just a, a you know, it wasn't a rabbit drawing. I think it was an AutoCAD drawing of the space and, and everybody could just relate to that. And that it was always like a push on the marketplace. Like we want, we want those kinds of 3d interfaces mm. when we're trying to translate our data. Um, yeah. So we built this, you know, this software piece that kind of put all of these, you know, cameras and access controls and lights and, uh, temp- temperature together. Um, but then we needed to figure out the interface solution and what does that look like mm. um, and how do we interact with it and so we took our Revit drawing and put it in a gaming platform to see what would happen that's really cool so 
so talk a little bit about so I'm I'm we're going to be sharing and and I'm looking mm-hmm. at some screenshots of the app right now and I see um, I see camera information being sent straight to the app through the safety screen. I see desk booking, um, and then I see things like the uh, air quality meters, and I guess these are slide controls for um, for different lighting, right? So common room. Right. Mm-hmm. So how um, I'm trying to think about how to phrase this properly. So when you're trying to boil down stuff that's uh, relatively complex into something that's got to be really intuitive. Um, that's got to be a really challenging sort of design design question, right? It is, and you know, I you, you know, I I learned the value of great UX UI designers, the user experience, user interface designers. Mm. They, the, the, these are people that are trained to to design the how digital translates to humans. Yeah. Um, and so the greatest quality in a UX UI designer is humanism. Right. 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 Like, <laughs> so, um, so I, I've, I've learned that I've learned that we've had to cut a lot of things out that we originally started with. Mm. Um, I've learned that it's an art, um, in a sense to like start with these big grand ideas but a really great working piece of software gets whittled down to just perfection yeah. after a while. And it works. Once it's working, it works well and almost always. Right. Like there's always components that kind of get in the way, but once you find your groove, it's it it it's it's a good place to be. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, it sounds to me like, so let's talk about a little bit about marketplace with the app. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, every major controls manufacturer has come out with some form of app based controls. So where do you see the, the LE app working in the marketplace itself? So who, who, how does this work with other control systems, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So we are agnostic. Mm. We can write in any control system, um, provided the controls, uh, provider will allow us to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been a lot of interesting conversations about that, but specifying, um, systems with open protocols or open APIs are really important in order to scale and integrate. Um, so that that's been something that's uh, really important for us. And and where where do I see it fitting in the marketplace? I, we're we're going directly after the end user. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you know, but we 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 see it scaling all the way up through the developer and property managers, etc. So let's let's take a step back to the lighting market for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've thought this for a while and you know it might be i don't know i don't think it's controversial really because i think this actually came up at a recent iald event but um why haven't we just gotten to a a protocol that everyone can agree on <laughs> like, this is always a frustration for me and i'm curious to get your take on why we can't say hey we're all gonna work dolly now or we're all gonna do you know an ip based system or something right like why are we stuck with some things are zero to 10, some things are low voltage, some things are, you know, DMX, Dolly, whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's interesting. Well, first of all, cost, right? Mm. I think there's cost plays a lot of in into it. But I think that um, from a protocol perspective, I'm not sure. I, I, I think that there's ease and, and I think people are sort of, you know, um, happy to do what they've always been doing, yeah. um, which isn't which doesn't serve us in a sense, but when, but when you approach it and it doesn't, but maybe the value proposition hasn't been proven quite yet either. So like when you approach it from a position like, okay, so we have this piece of software and you know, it's a community for your hybrid workplace. Um, It allows for collaboration um, and it allows for you to manage your building um, and we can integrate your lights with it. It, it, it it's a, it, it changes the narrative mm. a bit. Um, and I think the problem with the, the, the lighting of us as lighting reps is that we haven't had access to the end users in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that, that, that's something that we're kind of trying to change so that they can understand the value mm-hmm. of great lighting and why uh you know why we're here and what we have to offer yeah i think that's i mean it's been my sort of drumbeat for the last you know year has been that we as an industry need to talk about what lighting can do for people i I equate it to the organic food market right yeah there was a time when organic food was seen as this sort of like very luxury, frou-frou kind of thing that only people in California cared about. Um, But because of this sort of dedicated drumbeat of very passionate people sharing this message and then getting out to influencing people like celebrities and whatever, it became part of the culture. And now almost any supermarket you walk in at least has an organic section, right? And I think the lighting industry needs to do something similar. We need to talk about what excellent lighting can do without the thought of I'm going to close this particular project, you know, it's about advocating just in general. Mm -hmm. Um, But my, my, my question about the protocol thing was, so I came from theater and in theatrical lighting a long time ago, um, the USITT came up with DMX protocol as a standard it's very old now. It's pretty rickety as a standard, um, but it's indoors because it's something that everyone builds around. You know, um, I'm wondering if you see a, a pathway to, uh, like in Europe, Dolly's been largely yeah. adopted as a sort of control standard. Do you think we're headed toward anything like that, or is the market just too diverse in, in the United States to to support something like that? I think there's always going to be. Um, I, I I think that I when we're working on a project uh an iot project we always specify dolly okay yes okay always yeah wow that's a that's that's a big thing because i still am seeing a lot of struggling with dolly adoption Mm -hmm. so that's really it's it's not an easy it's not an easy thing to program um so and, and you know we have i've had uh we hired uh a person who um, designed and uh, managed data centers for Amazon. Mm. He's our director of technology and he came in and he was working in Dolly with the, with the controls team. And he, he was saying, I can't, I can't, we could write over this. And he was joking, but I thought 
his perspective on how we how even Dolly, you know, communicated in the commands. There's they're pretty uh it's pretty hard to maneuver through. Mm. Interesting. Um so it, you know, maybe there'll be new there'll be new ways to control lights in the future that that might be a little bit more user friendly. Because uh, when we were we're programming our uh, circadian um, program, um, we had to get through lots of popcorning things like where the lights were different oh, color wow. temperatures, sure. things like that. You know, we had uh, in a in in just like ten thousand square foot area, we had uh, you know five hundred drivers, so. There is a lot of, you know, <laughs> you know, if you want to, I don't, I can't imagine that a client would be that granular as we went, mm-hmm. but we had to see uh, what we could endure and um, it takes a lot. So I get it. No. I get why it's not as easy for people to, to use, but we will use it because we find the functionality and the data that it brings us um, far more valuable mm. in the long run. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So we said the M word before you're, you, uh, I've come to learn just now that you don't like the, the M word, but I'll say <laughs> it one more time just so people understand it. So as someone who's a lighting person, what even is the metaverse? Let's, let's start <laughs> from the very beginning. Cause I only know the commercials that, uh, you know, meta puts out on, on TV where somebody's wearing goggles to be a football quarterback or something. So what is the metaverse and why should we be thinking about it as lighting people? I'm going to tell you what the metaverse is to me. Okay. Um, because there's a lot of different uh, iterations of what people think the metaverse is. But uh, to me, the metaverse is a 3D environment inside a gaming platform in which you can interact with things, people, places, or things that are in it. Um, it can be on a server, it can be on a private server, it can be on a public server, it could be on um, the blockchain. Um, there's all kinds of different places the metaverse can exist. Mm. Um, but uh, for me, um, the metaverse, as a former interior designer, the metaverse is taking our AutoCAD or, or um, not our AutoCAD, but our Revit drawings and putting our Revit drawings in a gaming platform. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So practically, I'm, I'm interested in how you see that working into the future of our environments. So, um, so this is a 3D environment. Um, Am I engaging with this through a screen or am I engaging through this with a pair of goggles or other other interface devices? Okay. We only do screen and we're engaging with this this in a way that we have as design professionals in the past. It's like going through your Revit Mm. uh, program. Sometimes you see these things where, you know, with the architects are flying through the Revit, you know, and you can see the whole floor plan and... Um, in a 3D model, this is no different. Mm-hmm. Um, this allows you a little bit more functionality mm. and um, to feed data into it and to v- be able to visualize it in a different way. Mm. Okay. So it started with us literally looking at it as a user interface for our controls. We wanted to 
bring our temperature settings in there. We wanted to be able to go and book a desk in there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then while I was in there, I asked the question, could we put people in there? Mm-hmm. And the answer was immediately yes. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I wonder. And I started thinking about it. And then, um, you know, the, 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 the pandemic was upon us and we were having my biggest problem was, and, and I think, you know, JP was selling remotely. I'm like, I can't, I can't see my people and I can't sell for our manufacturers mm-hmm. effectively. And this cannot happen again. We cannot go into another pandemic or around two without me knowing how to sell remotely. Mm-hmm. And everybody was on Zoom and no one was engaged, but I was watching my children and they would be on Zoom all day in school. And then after school, they would get off Zoom and get in roadblocks together. And I thought to myself, they're engaged in roadblocks in these 3D environments, but they're not engaged in Zoom. Why is that? And Mm. I thought it's got to be these 3D engaging environments. So I went in with them and started to um, kind of play around. And I had this that we had this moment reminding you that my my daughter's been um, not well. So you know, we've had, you know, trying to relive some really beautiful moments. And uh, she remade Christmas. Uh, She made a Christmas town in a 3D Roblox town. And then she, um, she bought presents for her brother Mm. and invited him in. And I, when I saw it, his, his eyes got really wide and he had so much joy. And I thought he, his, emotions are no different in that environment Mm -hmm. than they were would be on Christmas morning he was equally as excited Mm. and that's the way children view the world now Mm. um in that sort of way and that they don't devalue a digital experience as much as the older generations do and with the most of the heads of the big design firms were saying at the time, we've got to bridge the gap between the physical and digital. We have to figure out how to do that. Mm. And I, I thought to myself, if I, if my employees can see the brand lighting environments on a regular basis, it would be better because they would remember their connection to something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the space, our space tells a lot about our brand. Mm-hmm. And so I figured like this brand connection to our space would be a reinforcement that, you know, we're still here and we're still working for something. And this was mid pandemic. Yeah, sure. Um, and, you know, and, and then it started to, you know, kind of build out from there, like what kind of marketing tools can we build in these 3D environments mm. that will get our clients engaged, but if we can't be with them in person. Um, and it just became bigger than that. It became an idea that we as lighting people are experiential salespeople. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're selling an experience and we could do that in a 3d environment too Mm. and um i like the idea of that yeah and giving that extra value to our our manufacturers to be able to take our clients through these parks and 
oh, you know, understand what great lighting is. Because when you're in the park in the middle of the night and the lights go out, it feels really scary. Right, right. But then the lights go on. And there, if there are, you know, there are these beautiful Vega lights and they, you know, they, you can show all the features and benefits and you can talk, stop and talk about them and why and, you know, great lighting and what it does yeah. and show what it does when you're not really together. I thought that would add more value to us as a lighting firm for our manufacturers. I think it's an incredibly forward thinking um way of of engaging with this um i you know i am interested in how we are we go forward engaging with our environments as we move into the future of work and the future of um there's all this hand-wringing right now about the future of the office will people come back to the office you know i i'm i'm working out in new york city and there's a lot of hand-wringing about the fact that people are not coming back to the big towering, you know, skyscrapers in Midtown because they can do most of their stuff remotely these days and what that means for the economy and all, you know, it's a, it's a bigger conversation. But I think part of it is what are we doing to draw people back to the office? Why is the office an important connecting point? Um, do you think that by building these 3D environments, these virtual environments, in some ways, you're reinforcing the connection back to the to the real office. Hundred mm. percent reinforced. Yeah, mm. uh, you can't. And, it, and there was a lot of thought, like what, if you were going to build a 3D environment, does it look exactly like your existing environment? Well, yeah, absolutely, mm. it does. It does. It does reinforce that there are people there. There is there. There's real estate mm-hmm. there, and 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 good things are happening in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the long-term play of the metaverse, though, really isn't about it being a separate interface from the world. It's about bringing it into the world. Mm. Um, that's a, apparently, you know, a lot of read, I've read about the, the 10-year play, and that's where the IoT and lighting come in. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, and it reinforces it because we're ordering smart windows for our office and we're building portals in our metaverse so that it becomes a seamless interactive environment. Hmm. So what's interesting to me about that, especially as you, you mentioned your kids, but younger people start talking about working environments is in a virtual digital space, you can make spaces extremely dynamic right you mm-hmm. can have if you want to have green up light across your ceiling and you know blue surround like i have behind me here and then really focused working light at your desk you can do that in a virtual space very easily but what that does if you're a lighting person is and you're trying to mirror this virtual environment is it almost pulls those features back into the real world now it's not enough to just do the regular slots and dots downlight layout you've got to do a really interesting dynamic lighting layout because that set the expectation has been set in the virtual environment that this is what people want and that's really interesting in terms of upgrading the lighting experience yeah uh, and it's really important. We, you know, before we did the lighting design in our virtual environment, it looked terrible. And I, and I told, you know, my crew, I'm like, please take pictures of this mm-hmm. because this is what good lighting design does. Mm. You know, you need great lighting design in these virtual environments as badly as you need it in the physical environments. And and 
so I think it's it's actually that's not a bridge too far I think for designers to really wrap their minds around because I have lighting designers complain to me that when renderings come out of a given space that they're supposed to physically light in the real world, those renderings are virtual. They live in a virtual space. And the light is always, um, it, usually it, it appears from invisible sources, right? Like you'll, you'll get like a cafe or a restaurant or something with these beautifully luminous tables and no down lights are shown in the ceiling or no, you know, no accent lights are actually rendered into the picture. It's just like, don't worry, the light just emerged, you know? So they always complain about that. And so I think a more realistic three-dimensional rendering of what spaces are supposed to be um, gives everybody a set of expectations around what the real world can be. Right. Take it a step farther. Mm. Say your lighting design is done in a, we're going to say metaverse type setting. Mm. Um, and it's, when it gets to the real world, it gets hooked up to the real world. So your metaverse and your actual space are connected. Mm. So whatever is being represented in the metaverse can, or your digital twin, whatever you would like to call it, because it's really what it is, is being represented in the physical world. So now, now when you're on site, you know, you don't necessarily need to be on site to commission your projects. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's, there's lots of, you know, um, educational things you can draw from that. But I don't know. I mean, I've seen that we're, we're seeing the takeoff of, you know, the jump from to, to, to digital twins and, and lots of, uh, departments want a piece of it in some of the larger companies there was I talk about the Vancouver airport digital twin where they were using it to drive traffic and understand how busy the terminals were mm. um, and now they're using it to see how long the lines are in you know uh, security and now the gift shops want a piece so mm. um, so there can be a, a whole another level of e-commerce that exists uh, just from what's created by us in the architectural industry. Do you see, or have you seen, or, or are you thinking about um, augmented reality along these lines? I've That technology is something that I feel like we haven't touched on nearly enough. Like I love the idea of contractors that are building out a space, being able to put on a pair of glasses or something, and seeing in in real time what the design is supposed to lay out and look like. I think there's a, so much potential for that technology to really change the way we build spaces. Because um, if you've built it in, the, in a, a digital environment, a 3D digital environment, and it exists in that way, then if you can bring that in an augmented reality way to contractors or whoever else are working on the space, I think that that's a total game changer in terms of understanding what the design intent is um, have you seen anything in that space or are we still in the infancy there? Yeah, I think we're still, you're still somewhat in the infancy, infancy mm. and it's really not something I've focused in on. Um, yeah, I clearly bit off something pretty vast. Already. Yeah, 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 for sure, for <laughs> I'm sure. going to stick with where we're at. But yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, there's lots of new technologies on the market for things like that. And LiDAR has become very popular mm. and um, and scanning spaces and things like that. So we've got a, got a, it's like a whole new world for the architectural and lighting industry. Um, and there is all kinds of different ways that we can kind of tap into things to evolve. Mm. 
but I think as lighting reps, we we could uh, continue to, you know, ask ourselves to bring more value to our clients and, and, you know, do some of the hard work that we sort of relied on manufacturers to do in the past because we're perfectly capable of doing our own mock-ups and mm-hmm. seeing how we feel under certain exist, you know, things and, um, and even offering scalable solutions to t- things that uh, have previously been looked at um, as not scalable. Mm. Specific, what do you mean by, by things that were scalable that aren't? Well, I mean, there are certain, you know, there are certain uh, types of, you know, sensors you can put in lights that you you didn't think could tie in oh, to your, your 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 software programs. Where now we can just write them in. Mm-hmm. Um, the power to be able to kind of manipulate uh, your own software to um, integrate the way you need it to is is a really it's really powerful. Mm. When we talk about populations that have special needs, this has been a, a topic of, uh, of particular interest for me over the years, um, particularly in educational environments. I think we, you know, especially I work with the New York City public school system a lot, and they have to cater to literally millions of kids. And so design standards become pretty flat, you know, by necessity. But I'm wondering if you see a future where dynamic lighting, um, perhaps aided by you know, 3D or, or digital twin design um, allows for more malleability of spaces for children with sensory, um, special sensory needs or environmental needs. Um, you, We've talked a lot about workplaces, but I think about healthcare mm-hmm. environments and educational environments a lot when it comes to these things. Um, what do you think about those implications? Um, absolutely. I think we have to understand them better. Mm. I think that's the thing, you know, there was the well building standard, which was like a 200 melanopic lux on uh, hitting your eye at 30 degrees, or I can't remember. And it was, a you know, years ago when we tried it, um, we tried it and literally someone had a uh, umbrella above their desk that day we tried it because the lights <laughs> were way too bright for them. So I think we have to understand it, but I also, uh, that it also makes me wonder if it's more a person to person. Everybody's different. Mm-hmm. Um, heard a quote yesterday that um, when we assume sameness, we are actually doing damage. Mm-hmm. So um, everybody has their own uh, needs, mm-hmm. and uh, so you, I think I think we don't understand uh, all the nuances of neurodiversity yet. And um, I'm not sure how we will respond to it, but my hope is that, and and my gut tells me that lighting has a lot to do with it. Mm, yeah. 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 I com- I, I've completely agree with that. I think that, you know, if even if we started the conversation around simple concepts like vertical illumination versus horizontal illumination, you'd go a long way mm-hmm. to improving how classrooms got lit. You know, um, mm-hmm. thinking about just getting 35 foot candles to the desk as the only goal really limits a lot of what, what I see in classroom designs as a for instance. Um, mm-hmm. I also am interested in how we um, we we focus on workplaces, I think, because there's a lot of turnover there. So there's a lot of new work there where schools are relatively static. Um, but 
kids spend eight to 12 hours a day sometimes in school buildings. You know, it's a very um, intense connection that they have to that built environment. And I even remember for myself as a kid, like really intimately knowing my school buildings, right? Because I was there so much, you know? Um, so I'm interested to see how we can have these conversations around spaces where people are either forced to or, or just by necessity spend a lot of time there. And schools and hospitals are the two spaces that always come to mind when I think about that. Yeah. I mean, it's multifactorial, I think, mm. um, in the sense that it's lights, it's air quality, mm. it's, you know, it, it, it's air movement, mm -hmm. it's sound, it's the three dimensional environment that we live in. Um, and how, how, are, how are all those senses being received at one time? And are those environments being built conducive to those long? Yeah, so we, we, have, we have a job to do as, as a lighting in, in, in the lighting industry to really understand how light affects us on a, on a neurological level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think far too many things are shared as if they're facts when they're just the latest study. Um, you know, I see, I see this a lot when it comes to folks on the like sort of pop science side a lot of lighting articles, uh, I won't, and there's no reason to mention the name, but there's someone pretty prominent as a podcast and a, a YouTube channel, said definitively what would happen if you watched TV after like 11 p.m. and what it was going to do to you. And, you know, it talked about provoking the depression and things like that. And my, my issue with that is that as soon as you start talking about those things as facts – and they don't align to people's lived experience, they just toss out the entire discussion, right? Because they're like, well, I fall asleep to TV at midnight and I f I'm fine, I'm not depressed. And so it makes them sort of throw out the whole, the, whole, the whole conversation, right? Because people speak too definitively on something that might just be a one or two study example. Um, That's it, I can, I, can, I can validate that feeling and I think that, you know, being at the edge of healthcare with my daughter has asked me to has forced me to go in and and ask those tough questions like okay let's break this down how did we get to this place or what is that and what is right about that what is wrong mm. but yeah critical thinking is 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 really important mm. um in in solving our problems moving forward mm. but yeah so We've hit on a lot of things, and I'm so grateful that you, you took the time to, to do this. Um, I, I want to finish with just a sort of um, a broad question that maybe maybe it's too broad, but we'll see. Um, what are you thinking about these days as we go into the new year, as we head into 2023? What do you see as the, the next wave of challenges that we're going to face or maybe the next opportunities we have in front of us? Well... I, I always look at challenges like opportunities, but I do think that it's going to be an interesting market the next few years ahead of us. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of uh, world factors that'll play into that. Um, so for me, it's my, my brain is surviving and thriving in chaos. <laughs> <laughs> thriving is keyword, thriving. Thriving in chaos, okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but I'm very optimistic about it. I feel like we're well positioned to move forward. We, you know, we have a great plan ahead of us. Um, 
uh, as a whole for the for my company is surviving and thriving in chaos. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. Uh, that, I really appreciate it. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to come in the shed here and uh, and talk about lighting and controls and the future and all the things that we we touched on. This is really great. Well, I've been. Thanks for having me. I've been seeing this shed for years and I loved it. So um, I'm happy to finally be here. So, well, maybe I'll do a, like a LIDAR scan of it and we can get it into the metaverse and we can. Yeah, that's right. We'll send you the camera. You can scan. Yeah, that'd be, that. that'd be a ton okay. of fun. I would totally do that. That would be a blast. You know what? Call it done. There'll be a JP shed in the metaverse in no time, I promise. I think I have to clean it up first, though, because uh, that sounds Thanks. great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for watching and listening along as I spoke with Aaron about the metaverse and about lighting in the metaverse, about controls, about technology and the future of the lighting industry. Thriving in chaos. I like that as a theme for 2023. If this was valuable for you, please go ahead and hit that like and subscribe button. It's how we grow. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues about the podcast, whether they want to watch it here on YouTube or listen to it in the audio only version. Thank you so much, and we will see you next month on the next episode.